Hi, this is Cuauhtémoc Villa, and welcome to the Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Welcome, welcome once again to The Probiotic Life. I'm your host, Ben Klenner. Well, today on the show, I'm excited to share with you an interview with Cuauhtémoc Villa. What a cool name. He is a friend of the microbes and is an expert in Bokashi and working with effective microorganisms, or also known as EM. So this is what we mainly focus on today in this episode, Bakashi and EM, but he also teaches indigenous agricultural practices. Kwaramak shares a bit about his story, about how he got involved with microbes and shares with us some of the things he teaches in his classes. His passion for the microbes is amazing and he's changing people's lives as he shares about them. I hope you get inspired, get inoculated with inspiration from this interview. Uh, He's given me lots of links. So there's lots of uh, things that you can check out in the show notes, uh, some of the things he's involved in and supports. Um, A couple other things before we get started. If you are into natural farming, Korean natural farming, soil health, all that sort of stuff, check out the microbiometer.com. Now, this is an affiliate of the podcast, and it's a way that you can support us doing what we do. It's actually a way of testing and monitoring the microbial biomass in the soil to see how much life you've got down there. And if you're serious about building biology in your soil, then go over to microbiometer.com and pick one up. When you go to the checkout, you can enter the promo code PROBIOTICLIFE and you'll get $10 off your purchase. And briefly, a couple of things that I've been up to. I've been reading the Advanced Brewing Guide for EM and just got myself some mother culture from SCD Probiotics, which I'm keen to try. Now, this is exactly what Kuatamak and I talk about in this episode. We're talking about EM, talking about effective microorganisms. The thing I find interesting is that you can actually use these probiotics as your own probiotics for digestion. Now, no one is officially recommending it, but I've read multiple accounts of people feeling amazing after they drink it. So that's what I'm going to try. I'll be a little bit of a test guinea pig. I've also been involved with a Korean natural farming meetup here in Perth. So if you do live in the area, come by and say hi. You can find us on Facebook under Australian Natural Farming. I've also been playing around with fermenting whole fruit in kombucha, which actually tastes amazing, but it also has the added benefits of using up some of the sugar through the fermentation process and adding probiotics to the fruit. This fermented fruit actually tastes amazing with yogurt. 
Also, I want to say thank you to all of you out there listening today. Thank you for being part of this journey. Thank you for being part of discovering what it looks like to live a probiotic life. So now, without further ado, here is this fantastic interview with Quatamak Via. Welcome to The Probiotic Life. Today on the show, we have Kuatamak Via uh, coming from uh, Oregon in the States. And I first heard Kuatamak on uh, Matt Power's podcast, uh, An Abundant Future. At the same time, that was when I joined the Probiotic Farmers Alliance and was learning about Korean natural farming. So when I heard what Kuatamak was talking about, I thought, this is amazing. I have to have him on the podcast. Uh, he's a friend of the microbes and a teacher of their ways. So welcome to the show, Kuatamak. Thank you for having me and, and for making a space where we can share information, learn information, and keep the knowledge going. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. So I heard you on Matt Power's podcast talking all about Bakashi and not just using the liquid, but actually um, the, harvesting the microbes from nature. So I really want to get into that. But first of all, I'd love to hear a bit of your story about uh, what was your uh, mindset to get into this or even a bit further back, what was your, your um, you know, growing up like? What, cha- what formed your mindsets that you have today? Well, growing up, my father would always take us out to nature places. We'd always go for walks as families. So always looking at nature, being part of nature was just a natural part of growing up. So I know that same feeling that I had as a kid in nature kind of seems to vibrate over when we are doing the good work in that good space. So I kind of got the sound of what that what that voice is and uh, got a chance to feel what that feeling is as a young kid growing up running around the hills and just watching nature, being with family. Felt real good. So that's kind of how I guess I began to to look at at, at nature. But then, um, you know, as we evolved, I, I was an electrician. I, I had nothing to do with this growing up. Um, yeah, nature was part of my life, but, you know, as we grow up as teenagers, Girls take over. I was a football player. Many other distractions kind of pulled me from nature into more of the unnatural world. But I always kept, I was a fisherman. So I, I noticed that fishing would link me back to what I felt as a kid. So we always have like these little little things in our life where we kind of don't realize we're, we're shaping ourselves up for the future or even more so she, tuning our ear for that listening, guiding voice. And so growing up, you know, I, I did the football thing and, and did all that. I was an electrician, but I got hurt too. You know, we're kind of talking to you about your background. I got hurt in 97 and I was electrocuted at Stanford University. So I couldn't go back to my old job. My hand is damaged. And if you see my hand is burnt pretty bad. I messed up my neck. Um, there's some discs that are bad in my lower back, but um, I didn't want to give up. You know, they wanted to right away put you on disability, tell you you couldn't do you couldn't do work no more, but I wanted to try something else. So um, I was looking into different fields. And at that time, I wanted to learn more about herbs and how herbs can heal people. Um, and as a young kid in our family, being from indigenous backgrounds, would use different plants for different things. And I wanted to know more about that because I was suffering at the time with a lot of pain, uh, depression from being hurt. 
and just basically having your whole life turned upside down. So um, my sister had brought home a boyfriend, and you do what all big brothers do to your sister's boyfriend, and you question him and find out <laughs> what he's doing, what his intentions are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, long story short, the young man um, started to talk to me about soil. And at that time, I was farming my own medical cannabis because I had just got injured. But I was doing the traditional MPK farming. But the young man told me that if I fed the soil, the soil would give me all the components I needed. And I kind of thought about that for a minute. And didn't quite, couldn't put the pieces together. But he was like one of the first four guys to bring EM to the United States. You know, Matt Wood is one of them, and he started SCD Probiotics. But Peter Noose, also known as Kifas, he was one of the students that came with Matt Wood to the United States. And he also had his own um, EM stuff going on, and he worked for EM at the time. So this was new to me. And I started to talk with him more and more. And he was a pretty interesting guy. So at that time, he was doing stuff at... Uh, Skywalker Ranch, George Lucas's ranch. And I knew that there was something big here. And one day, this was kind of a, a big point for me in the microbes, is Kifas had pulled out some bioceramics, which is sold by Terraganics. And it was an EM product at the time. And we called it bioceramic. But he pulls out the bioceramic and he pours two glasses of red wine. And he says, taste both those red wines and make sure they taste the same. So I did what he said and kind of wondering what the heck he's going to do. And he picked up one and I tasted the wine and they tasted just the same. It was bitter. It was nasty stuff. And I'm not a wine drinker. But he said to pay attention to the bite on the alcohol and the taste of where the fruit is when you, when you taste it. So I did that and I could recognize the, the heat and like I saw all the layers he was talking about. But then he took that wine glass and he set it next to a bag of the Super Sarah Sea Powder. And he held it there for probably about 15 seconds and then put the glass, put one of the glasses down and had me taste both glasses again. And my goodness, when I had tasted the glass, which was next to the bioceramics, it was completely different. And this for me, I, I had to find out what had happened. Why did it make the wine taste different? What? Because this was now a force that was in imposed on something but we couldn't see and now this really opened up the pandora's box for me and what can these microbes do so down the line we find right, out so, so just that. just back up a second quatermark you put it next to a bag of of what did you put it next to <laughs> so they sell a bioceramic from em the em company effective microorganisms and the ceramic is called um super Sera c-e-r-a powder and it's a bioceramic powder that they make from silica but it's infused with microorganisms and Dr. Higa's book the discoverer of the EM consortia covered it as depth in, in the, his first book Earth Saving Revolution where he talks about this but what it basically does is it creates a far infrared vibration from the ceramic and this creates, in physics, we call spin, which then gets the molecules to break linked, and that's why the wine tastes different. Now, Higa did it so that the molecular structure of the sugars can break bond. The yeast are able, able to convert 
those smaller links more efficiently. He, we don't get what's called a fermentation lock. So this is how the, the product was used in the beginning. And from there, now it's limitless in the applications in which they use the bioceramics for many, many reasons. But that, that whole process and how that's done is really just a little capture of what was taken back to Japan when the Terra Preta was discovered in 1960. The Japanese scientists are right there next to Cornell looking at what was going on. But they also, the Japanese scientists took with them components that then they developed this whole bioceramic sector. And they're about 20 years ahead of anyone else in the world with this type of technology. Wow. Okay. So it's the, it's the ceramics, um, but it's been impregnated uh, with EM um, as similar to like when you put um, EM in biochar. Is that right? Yeah, same style, and that's why when I learned the biochar, knowing the precursor of how they made the bioceramics, I got super excited because I realized, wow, I can program that carbon, just like they did with the bioceramics, and program the biochar specifically for each environmental region because it all has its own different um, components which make it work in symbiosis. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so when they take the silica which we know crystal has all kinds of memory in it. They make all of our phones with silica, TVs, all of this because it holds information. But when you take that silica quartz and you fire it at 2,000 degrees, you basically race it like a blank. It's like a blank tape at that point, waiting to receive something to download into it. So that's when we cool it with the EM consortium and then it records the information from the EM. But personally, I think a lot of that is um, energy from the ATPs and all of the other components created by the fermentation, which uh, we're going to find out are very critical. But a lot of that gets captured by the silica, and then that's what creates the different far infrared um, vibrations, some stronger than others. Mm. But EM has nailed it with that bioceramic that they have. You can restructure wine about... 15 inches away, doesn't even have to touch the glass. Wow. So, and it's, it's a very fine powder. You can add it into, into concrete. You know, they make swimming pools with it in Japan. You can add it into glass, so you can begin to make different types of lighting and LED components, but you, you can add it in in small amounts to then transfer over to the rest of the carbon material. This is fascinating. This is, uh, like, this is exactly what, for me, is... is the probiotic life, you know, uh, it's like the energy, mm-hmm. but it's also the microbes, uh, integrated into everything that we're doing. Um, but I think maybe we should just back up a little bit and for people who may not know, I think most people would, but, um, what EM is and what Bakashi is and maybe, uh, what, what are you actually doing with these things? Okay, well, um, yeah, we really moved along quick there. If you don't know what EM is, to kind of break it down real quick, it's a group of microorganisms that um, consist mainly of things like yeast that we know from beer and wine. And they like to incorporate the yeast because the yeast has such an appetite for digesting organic matter that it can just go through stuff really quick and create many good compounds in the process. But in the process of that rapid work the yeast is doing, it's partnered up with lactic acid bacteria that we know from like the pickling processes. 
Mm-hmm. But all these microbes are food grade. And but what's good about the lactic acid bacteria is if you think the pickling, nothing spoils in pickles when they're in the brine. It takes a long time for them to go bad because pathogens are kept at bay by the pickling process. So when we have the lactic acid bacteria, their byproducts are also keeping pathogens at bay during this rapid decomposition that the yeast are employing upon that area. Then we have the third microbe, which for me, I'm a big fan of this and for my personal favorite, but it's that purple non-sulfur bacteria, PNSB for short. And I think that really makes this thing incredible is that PNSB, as he's able to eat four different ways. So a lot of chemistry that is, um, tox- that is toxic to microorganisms, it finds it, it's a food source for it. So it's able to convert these toxic compounds and then release them back into the environment as beneficial folic acids, amino acids, things that are building blocks as, as it's solids. But even more importantly, it's consu- it can consume CO2s and then gas off oxygen. So when we're brewing these consortia, as we have the yeast creating CO2 and the anaerobic fermentation, we have the PMSB consuming the CO2, which then gases back oxygen to see, and you see how they self-support each other. So the, the EM consortia based at an elementary description, those three types of microorganisms that have a potential to work well together. So when we're looking at microorganisms and we're buying a lot of these probiotics, and they're grown in isolation only within their own genome species. Microbes are, are like people. They, each genome has a special language, but if they, microbes are only speaking their own language when they're employed into an environment where they're exposed to many other microbes and many other cultures, they may or may not perform well. I mean, you've been in a situation where you're uncomfortable with people not knowing the language, and microbes are no different. So that's what I like about the EM consortia is that these microbes are always brewed together. And before, we used to think, you can't brew anaerobic microbes with aerobic microbes. They're never going to work. But I just explained to you how it works. So these microbes are able to work together during the brewing process. So there's a true language and a true um, co-creation that these microbes are employing during that first stage of fermentation. So that's what I really like about that EM consortia is they're microbes that know other languages and they're able to work together, but even more so is they don't come to take over. You know, we can get into that down the line, but when we use the EM, um, you can't even find them in the soil when you go looking for them. So this, this to me shows that they're catalysts for the IMOs, the indigenous microbes, to that area. They just create the, the things that are needed so that they, those indigenous IMOs can then begin to create that symbiosis again, because maybe they were knocked off of balance for whatever the reason. But the, the EM really works as like a, a guiding, guiding consortia for natural IMOs. And this data was taken from um, Earth University out in Costa Rica. You could buy other bananas here in the States from Whole Foods. They, they sell a specific line of just bananas. I think they came out with a pineapple maybe a year ago, but they've used EM 17 years there. And that's where Matt Wood learned how to use EM. That's where Peter Noose, learn to use EM in Costa Rica there at Earth University. But when they test the soil, you can't find these little boogers anywhere. There's no EM anywhere. So this really puzzled everybody trying to figure out, well, where are they? We use them every week in Bokashi and liquid. Why aren't they out there? You can only barely find the petri dishes. Then they realize they're the food source. They're just part of the food chain. They don't come to take over. 
so this this was really eye opening for a lot of us in the business, especially those who were trying to sell probiotic, because when we come in and teach the stuff, and people want us to then maybe help their businesses and maybe even take over some of their management positions, you can see where that's the opposite of the EM behavior. And I feel like when I learned the way EM behaved in the soil, that's really the model I took. And now when I, always when I teach, I come to teach the managers who already exist there because they know that place better than I ever can. And you make sure they're trained good and you make sure they understand good. And then the knowledge goes further. So then this competitiveness goes away and they realize this guy's just trying to really teach me and their ears really open up. So watching what the microbes do is really a model for humans on how to behave too when you really start working with them. Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's, it's just, it's, it's blowing my mind right now. There's so many metaphors um, in there. And the one that, the, the biggest one that stands out for me at the moment is, you know, um, from what I've learned about leadership, the, the, a great leader is actually a servant leader, someone who comes in um, and offers themselves up to uh, raise up the other people. And that's what I'm seeing in what you're talking about, the, the, the EM. Yeah, you got good ears. And that's really what it is. And that's the model we should follow as we, you know, teach this and work with this stuff and people get excited with it. You'll do way more service by teaching people who already work at those existing farms how to use it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so real quick, let's let's go through the the process of um, just brewing up the EM, and then what what uh, projects are you working on at the moment? Okay, so once you have that mother culture that I described, you can take one part of that mother culture, the so one part. Um, unsulfured molasses. I've used uh, sulfured molasses. They seem to work okay too. But a good sugar source like molasses has many kinds of vitamins and minerals. And it's very cheap. So that's the basic. You don't have to stick to it, but just the basic to get used to it. You take one part of the EM, one part of molasses, to 20 parts clean water. And you, you mix it all together. And you let that ferment in an anaerobic um, state for depends on your weather now you know it's going to be about 7 to 14 days or that pH is going to drop to 3.9 3.8 3.5 will be your best but once it's about a 3.9 most pathogens cannot live at that at that level and the EM consortia is ready to go and you'll it's fun to watch the changes within the brew so you can you can uh, see everything going on but I suggest that you make small batches of the EM to start so you can really build up a relationship with that fermentation and learn its different stages and even more importantly, its smells that are coming off during the different stages. Mm. And small batches make good, good practice when you need to do it large scale. You have great confidence because you've done it so many times at the small scale. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, 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 yeah, I suggest you practicing on, you know, gallon at a time, gallon at a time, then five gallons. Than 10 gallon before you move up to the 275 gallon um, big concentrates. So what I do with the EM, once I have the consortia brewed, I know that that, that constant, so the one to one to 20 after it ferments down, I can, so I can basically take a piece of that out, give it to somebody else to repeat the one to one to 20. Now the manufacturers aren't happy when we talk about that, but the original way we learned it 
and especially this is third world country stuff, you couldn't even try to talk about this stuff unless you were going to teach people how to brew it. Mm. So, of course, the business side wants you to purchase every time, which it makes sense, too, because if you are practicing and brewing without clean conditions, you can have a problem. You know, in Japan, where they ferment everything already, they have a more of a fermentation experience and know the consequences of contaminated jars and things like that. Mm. So for them to capture this is very natural. But for us in America, where you can barely get these guys to drink kombucha, you can see why the <laughs> manufacturer wants them to purchase each time, you know, the, the, the consortium. Because if you're trying to brew and you're saying it's EM, but you didn't do it right and people have bad luck with that stuff, nobody's going to want to use the EM. And then the, the manufacturers are going to suffer from that. Mm. So mm. I can see both sides of, of that. But if you are comfortable with fermentation and you've been doing fermentation, you know, I, I suggest that you do that. And you, 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 you do your brews. And for me, I still got the original brew that I learned from Kifas, you know, 17 years ago. And I grew that. And sometimes it, it takes a month before I brew it. Sometimes every week I'll brew it. Sometimes I'll collect water from beautiful parts of the mountains. So it's mixed up so much over the years. But the point is, these microbes, they know me and I know them. We have a relationship. You know, when I use these things on a job site, I know that they're going to do their work. So I'll take them out to a job site. Once I have that mother consortia, I'm then, if I have, like, say I want to brew up some, some veg for our plants and give them some extra nitrogen, I can use 10% of what I would normally use as a dried um, amendment drop of fish, and I can put that 10% into a fermentation container, add in um, a one to one to 20 again with that 10% organic matter in the brew and let that sit and brew. And what I've done now, I've just biologically unlocked that fish, made it even more available, expanded its potential because now it's ready to go. It doesn't have to hit the soil and wait for the microbes to do its job. It has been completed in that step one process. So I'm able to take small portions of amendments through that fermentation of one to one to 20, unlock it, and then feed my plants that way. So for vegging, we're going to run, you know, fishes and kelps. For flowering, I'm going to use different types of guanos that I like. And in the cannabis industry in America, they test everything all the way. So knowing that my guanos and my organic matter has gone through the fermentation before I use out an, an application, I know that just beneficial microorganisms are more likely to be on that organic um, brew that I'm doing because it's gone through that fermentation. So much more comfortable running different types of organic matter into the feed systems, which in turn for us as a producer, you see cannabis is a crop where it's really looked at more than any other agriculture product out there. Not only are they looking at all of the testing for herbicides, pesticides, we are looking at the flavor compounds of what, how much flavor is in it. And in science, we call that terpenes. And it's basically a little carbon ring with different components attached to it. But it's what the flavor is of your carrots, the flavor of your oranges. That's why the organic methodologies produce better tasting produce because the terpenes are stronger. So in Oregon, they terpene test all the cannabis. And when they send our stuff to lab and those terpene tests are double than anybody else's, then people start asking about your methodology and cultivation because we're really trying to push that level and we know it starts with the soil. 
So the cannabis industry's got it down. The, the hops industry, because hops is so related to cannabis, they do a lot of the same things, not as advanced as we do. And then in third, we have the wine industry that is looking at terpene production based on soil composition. You know, they call that terroir in their production, but they're realizing that, man, we got to get it, that soil going to then bring those terpenes up into the canopy, no matter what you're growing. And that's why that, those kind of methods from probiotic farming taste better because you, you're contributing at such a biological level that those carbon components, those carbon rings, those terpenes, they're stronger. They're energy rings, you know. They're not yeah, gassing off yeah. as fast. That's, that's fascinating. That's so like, that, that's like um, you know, we had Dan Kittridge on the show a while ago from the Bionutrient Food Association, and they're actually making or creating this little um, device to be able to test out in the field of, um, well, I guess it's like a refractometer on your iPhone, but to be able to, to test those things. But you're saying like this is taking it to the next level. Yeah, so you're looking at a sugar density, right? But that, that you can tell a nutrient density from those bricks meters and things like that. But we're looking at the flavor compounds, like a higher a higher uh, element of it, you know, wow. to this thing. So for herbs, you're doing medicinal herbs and your mints and things like that. That's what they want are these terpene components for. So that's how we stand out in, in our production style. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm doing on the production side. But recently I've got a job here where I'm working with um, sound native plants and they're, they're out of uh, Olympia, Washington. We've got a spot there in Portland where we work with municipalities here and they create what's called bioswells. And the bioswells, instead of the water just running off into the gutters where then it leads into the streams and down into the oceans and carrying all the heavy metals, as we know, these bioswells take the water into a, a, a capture system where the water can then residence into these capture systems where we planted plants that are known to uptake heavy metals and then capture that within the, the biological structure of the plant. And in these bioswells, the water will sit there in residence, kind of clean up a little bit before it then it goes into the exit system. So these bioswells are part of the development projects as people build because Oregon really is trying to keep the water clean and keep the fish going here. So the, those those are the kind of components where, for me to employ my biochar, my microorganisms, I got to get into the trenches and see how these things are, are are functioning and how they work. So these guys are bringing me into so we can try to make those connections with those municipalities who their only complaint is right now is biochar is expensive. So we're trying to find a way to to to, to bring that down. But you can see where. We understand if we're going to create a type of a digestion system, if you will, to handle accumulants of toxins, you're going to need carbon in there. You're going to need to employ microorganisms that have an appetite for these components that most organisms don't. And then, then you have the macro, the, the native plants that are going to assist in them. And those are the ones that are, you know, working components. So they're looking now like these plants where they grow naturally out in the wild, where they do their job, every plant has a special relationship with a probiotic microbe colony. So when we can look out there in the wild where, where they live naturally, then we can apply KNF methods is what I'm trying to get down the line here. I can capture those microbes in their natural settings through the KNF process, mm. culture them through school programs because I've done it through schools, making Bokashi and teaching through the schools to make our, our and culture out our, our, our Bokashi with these collected IMOs. 
and then employ them through, through the municipal systems into all these bioswells that are out there so that we have a direct known consortia within these swells to perform a task above and beyond a lot of these developers can't even imagine uh, right now. That's fantastic. It sounds like a great strategy of getting everyone on board. And, oh, wow, it's just blowing my mind right now. Oh, yeah. We can tie it all up right now, man. I'm, every day is so exciting because you can just see where, like, the missing links are, you know. And um, these guys are on board. They know, they know that the mushrooms and the good swells, when you have a really good swell working, the mushrooms are popping up. They want to know how do we can we encourage that type of mycelial development. So they want to know too. But you can't get this from college, you know. You only till recently is the curriculum coming up to speed, and that's what's great about like Matt Powers doing the advanced permaculture student online and updating his books because Matt is Matt Powers is trying to keep up with it because he's him being a teacher knows what's missing and he's trying to fill in the gaps and he's converting those books in different languages to get people excited and get more help on this thing because the real talent's out there. You know, I, I, I know what I'm saying, but I can tell you this, the people that I'm teaching, wait a second, wait a year, wait a two year, wait five years. You and I are going to sit in on some of the greatest workshops because they're brilliant minds out here mm -hmm. and they just need a little bit of the pieces and puzzles. So I've taken it to as far as I can, but I'm telling you that the ones coming, they are the ones, they are the ones listening right now. They're, they're, they're the ones getting pumped up, and we'll, we'll be in their workshop. If, if we do our job right, we'll be in their workshop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw that you, you taught some, uh, maybe one workshop at the Radical Mycology Convergence. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I was kind of hesitant to go there because, you know, being involved in this, and then the mushroom guys start talking. I didn't know what they were going to have, what, weird lights? You know, they used to kind of got your own prejudices about the whole mushroom community. But let me tell you what, when I got to that place, I didn't see anything to do with that stuff. And if there was, they took care of it before they came because the people at that site were all ready to learn. And the level of engineers and people that come to Peter McCoy's setup, I, I can't believe I even had these thoughts about it. So that whole thing just turned into one of the greatest events I have ever done. And I've done quite a few events. But the intention of so many people that want to get this thing going, I mean, that's half the, why I'm excited right now while we're talking because I, Peter McCoy just made a space. You can't miss it. You have got to see what, he's, what he put together. Mm -hmm. And the quality of education is unreal. And I do these things all the time. I go to permaculture convergences. This is like nothing I've ever been to. You know, and I, we should know that we're we're into mushrooms and and microorganisms and things like that, and we know how we ch it changed our lives. Now you get around, you know, a couple hundred people with that same effect. Ah, oh, man, it's just like we're all relatives. So that was more like a family reunion. I suggest that to everybody. Definitely oh, wow. put that on your list. Yeah, fantastic. You know, yeah. that's it's exciting me about, you know, it might be just a meme calling it the probiotic life, but the idea about creating life around you and the, and the emails that I get from people around the world of um, inspired by this because it's all connected, you know. it's we, can't, we came from the soil and it's the soil health that creates human health. It's just amazing. Yeah, and, you know, when I was doing the school garden program, there's a little documentary on YouTube and it's called microbe power 
and you'll see kids holding a sign that says compost. But there was one incident where I really just kind of took me away was there was a boy, and he had monoautism. And he hadn't spoken two and a half years. And the teacher had told me all about him. She wanted him to go out to the garden, but told me he didn't talk. And, you know, if things didn't work out, it'd be okay if he didn't join us. So I'm not a real teacher, mind you. I'm just a parent. I just took, I, I took over. I got into this program by just helping my kids' class. And then the teacher retired the right curriculum. And I was doing such a good job. She told me to take it over. And I listened to her. But long story short, this boy who couldn't talk, he didn't talk for two and a half years. One day we were playing a game because I created all these games around probiotics. And, and, and we would create these games where the kids would know the soil was alive. So during one of the exercises of the game, and this was our fourth garden class together, I only had them 45 minutes once a week. In our fourth class, in the middle of one of the games, the boy spoke. And in ev- the whole class stopped what they were doing. Cheered that he spoke because he'd never spoke before. They'd never heard his voice. And each of the kids stopped to hug him. This is a garden class now, okay? And what was happening out there was just amazing, the unfolding from the, us feeling like we're just all connected because we are all connected. And they know we're all connected. And the kids don't have that these days. So there was just a, a spot in, in my life where I realized this is big this is like huge and we have got to get this thing going so this was the second school that i had had done and um after that had happened i went in with sonoma ecology center where they had me do their fourth grade soil unit and it was 34 schools after that in sonoma county but i i knew that these interactions the kids knowing um where they come from where life around them is like this is what they really want. And the Napa kids, man, they have everything they want. Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy kids. But what they don't have is that connection with nature. That, that na- nature deprivation, is, it's there with the kids. You know, they, they suffer from it. And when you give it to them, they, they love you. And they change your life. Mm. They change your life. And it's just my whole transformation. You know, I have four kids. But then when you take on a whole school of kids, two schools of kids, and then 30... Four schools of kids, it just makes your life so much better. And this is what living's about, you know. And sometimes you think, like, I was running a probiotic business, doing the garden stuff. There would be times where uh, I have business meetings, but it was my turn Mm -hmm. to do garden that day. And um, you're taking the kids out to class and you're distracted by what you could be doing. And what am I crazy doing this? I I got to go make some money to my family. And then a little girl would reach up and grab your hand as you're walking to class and you just know there's no place in the world you need to be than with them kids for 45 minutes and mm. you better get your stuff straight mm-hmm. because this is what's real. Mm. And mm-hmm. that little girl's name is Faith and Faith, she, she still, when I get scared, I think of that little hand and I know you just got to keep going. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and these, are, these are my people. They call this center. I'm a cannabis grower. I, none of my guys want anything to do with this. Mm. But when you see in micro power, when I asked them, guys, I need some money to help get some earth boxes. I need some money for this. I want to get a school garden program. They all would step up. You know, Alan Atkinson from Kokashi gave me, it had to be about 15 earth boxes so I can do a portable garden. You see, I, I could do a garden where kids didn't have a garden, but because Alan gave me those earth boxes, 
I would have them all fixed up already so I can do an instant garden. You just tell me, okay, I can have the kids, and I would drop this instant garden in the playground or wherever my class was. And every time, once the parents saw six weeks of an entry program with these portable boxes, every school would then put up their own long-term garden. We can go there now where they hired a real teacher, not some long, blowhard guy like me. They got real teachers, real garden programs now because of those silly boxes. So it's not that it's the answer to all, but it was the seed starter. You know, whether they thought, holy shit, we can't let this guy teach our kids. Let's do it. It don't matter whatever they thought. Their kids are gardening right now. And that's all I care about. That's awesome. And that's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that gets me going. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think you could, your, or what are the, some of the things that the, the kids are receptive to that you don't think that other people are sort of hearing at the moment? One of their favorite things was just to dig for worms. We used to have chickens, chickens on site, but I noticed in the process of digging for worms, there's so many other things to find in between. So these kind of, um, you would have directions for the kid and have your own curriculum, but giving the chance for the thing to unfold organically to kind of let those insects crawl into their lives. Um, I used to, I used to love stuff like that. Mm. And then introducing, I, I found this little stand one time. They were just, they, somebody was giving it away at their estate. So I brought it to school and I called it the free stand where people were able to bring what, because it's just Napa. Everybody had like extra trees growing, fruits, but you can grab whatever, put whatever you want on the free stand and kids can come grab it. So putting things on the free stand, I used to have a persimmon tree and I would fill it with persimmons. And so many parents would say, my kids never eat persimmons and they're eating them now. So things at school with your friends taste way better. (laughs) So introducing all these fruits I was able to introduce tons of different fruits and things to the children during school time, which I hope carried on to their lives today and they still enjoy eating fruit. But to me, letting them go in the dirt to discover what's there because they're not allowed to touch dirt nowadays, right? We get them out of the dirt right away. And introducing them to foods with their friends that they would not naturally eat. Man, you light up. You light up and the food even tastes better to you. Mm-hmm. When you're sharing it with new people. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, I still do that to this day. The last farm I just worked at, we built a uh, 39,000 square foot of greenhouse. But I did this thing. When I got on the job site, these guys eat like crap. But I, I eat pretty healthy. But I would do this thing called Fresh Fruit Friday. I'd bring fresh fruits to kind of introduce the boys to eating something else besides their damn, you know, gas station foods. And by the end of that summer, the whole summer that I worked with these guys, everybody's diet changed. Why they start realizing what they put into their body transfers as energy. And, you know, these are guys that are learning KNF. These are guys learning probiotic farm. It was an amazing spot to work at, mm-hmm. but they never connected their own biology to how this integrates into the whole farm itself. Because mm-hmm. if you ain't taking care of yourself, you ain't going to be a good farmer, you know? So you start to realize, like, oh my God, oh my God, my, my stomach's like a bokashi bucket. What I put in it is going to matter what comes out of it, and that's going to be my performance. So just it doesn't stop. These lessons never stop. When you work with these microbes, they evolve and continue. And that's what's cool about learning how to do it organically and letting things be raw, as I mentioned with the kids, because you, you feel that feeling. You hear that sound. I talked about when I was a young man. My dad took us to the woods. You, you, when you hear that, it's like a, a sign on the freeway pointing mm-hmm. you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to give up that sound because 
it's hard to get these days, right? In this in this world today, man. There's so many things that pull us away from that sound. So mm-hmm. finding places to get that sound and hear that voice is it's, it's critical to life. It's beyond like food for me. Mm-hmm. And and we need like we need people like you, Kwaramak. Yeah, just even just talking to you, I'm so inspired. I know other people will be inspired uh, by what you're talking about. And it actually reminds me of just not the not necessarily the same um, conversation we're having, but the same vibe as uh, we interviewed uh, this guy Nick Mahmood from Green Source Gardens. I'm not sure if you've... Uh, oh, can... bless his heart. Yes, I'm a, one of his biggest fans. Oh, awesome. He just yeah. won a big competition. Yeah, nah, man. He's big up, big up, big up to that roster. Oh, awesome. Yeah. He's solid, mm. solid. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I get so much inspiration looking on their uh, Instagram and, you know, they got they got beautiful buds, but they all the stuff that they're growing on those swales as well, you know, it's like, wow, this is what you can do. And you don't need lots of... Um, outside stuff to do if you've got a bit of land you can grow all this stuff on your land connected to the earth yeah he's a great teacher we're so lucky to be able to see his work and he shares his work so freely mm-hmm. i see what you mean he's inspiring mm-hmm. so so looking forward from your your work that you're doing now what are you excited about coming up in the future for you so I recently got pulled into uh, hemp development in Belize. Now, for me, um, Belize being connected to the Mayan people and being able to bring this country up. You see, every worker we bring in, you got to have 10 Belizeans. And the main thing is to teach them so they can run this hemp operation. For me, that's just incredible because I know these are some of the greatest farmers in the world out there in Mayan country. So I was asked recently to go down and, and test soil with an international group, which um, now has led into bigger projects and bigger developments with not only the Mayan people, but now they're talking about working with the Maoris in New Zealand. So mm-hmm. for me, being able to give the gift back to a country and maybe even continue to to build their economy so they can be international competitors in, in the CBD market. I mean, I, this is beyond anything I could dream of. So I'm, I'm so excited to be able to make sure that this information gets transferred to the, pe- to the working people of the lease from the people who are operating the farm. Uh, you, can, you can see where we can build, we could really turn countries around now where, you know, where, where financially things were devastating. We can bring, change that around by bringing business in. But here's what I like most. We are actually going to learn more from them than we are ever going to teach them. You know, there's some indigenous farming practices. There's methodologies down there that when we're able to imply, employ the science mind to what's being done, the new discoveries are going to come from that. You know, and this is not this is not in Jamaica where I've recently been to as well for cannabis work. The universities there have taken on the research of of looking for medicines, but they know that there's medicine in the bush that works. They don't know how it works, but they've called people out of the bush to bring their creams, their tinctures, where they can chromiograph these things and look at them and find out why does that work, but everything we have don't work. So 
there's a true partnership here that's needed. You know, the man with the money really needs help to develop these types of businesses ethically. And we're finding out that a lot of these guys with the money, they're not satisfied with that side of things. And they want, when they can develop an ethical business, which they've never had the opportunity, mm-hmm. they get excited as both you and I are right now. You know, and it's cool. It's like watching a, a kid play with a toy when you can watch these men who don't usually smile can't stop smiling when they realize how many people they're going to help when they realize further stuff about CBD medicine, in particular PTSD and a brain injury referred to as CTE, which are very close components of what our, pro- our, our program is about. Um, you realize, you know, we lose 22 vets a day here in America killing themselves. So if we can stop just one of these boys with some CBD medicine. We've done our jobs. You know, and I, me, myself, my brother committed suicide, who's a Marine suffering from PTSD. He never wanted to touch cannabis. Always would talk mess to me about cannabis and tell me to stop and join the military. But the day before he killed himself, he told me, he called me in the voice I could hardly recognize and said, hey, brother, you're weird, you're weird. And you know that micro stuff you're doing? Keep doing it. And that's where I was like, what? And he's like, dude, you got to keep going. Your cannabis work, don't ever let no one stop you. Your microbe stuff, they don't understand you, but keep going. Mm. But you don't understand, you know, what's going down at the time, but that, those words still ring with me today. Mm. So being able to make a difference in people's lives and making partnerships with people with resources to do this, oh, man, it's the microbes lead us that way. And that's mm. why you got to have that ear developed I talked about as a kid because when you hear it, you've got to partner with that, you know, because it's not going to look like you imagined. I'm not supposed to be at the dinner table with some of these people I'm with. Never in my normal life. But the fact is, the microbes have a sense of humor. <laughs> and they, they put it together somehow. And that's how you know you're in the good work, because it's fun, it's a sense of humor, and it should feel good. And you know we're doing the work of the, of the microbes at that point. So that's kind of the time we're in right now. And tell you the truth, I'm the one that, that's now kind of scared because, you know, I didn't foresee the partnerships that's happening. And you, the reality is we can really make a difference. Now it's up to me, like, okay, what do I, how am I going to advance this? Am I going to stop it or, or get it going? But it's about coming out of your comfort zone is really the moral of the story. When we get here too, we got to work with people we're not used to. Mm. We got to, just like the microbes, right? Mm. We got to learn languages we're not used to. Just like the microbes. We got to work in these environments we're not used to, but the common denominator knowing of success and partnership and co-creating, oh man, we can, we can get this done. But we have to be out of our comfort zone a little bit to, to, to get this done and work with people we may not like, but have the same like um, intentions. Mm. And that voice will tell you who that is. Yeah. That voice tells you. That's fantastic. That's, uh, you know, that's something for me to mull over and uh, doing this this podcast, mull over. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, so I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from you. Um, if people haven't really got their hands um, into Bakashi before, what are, what are some of the sort of simple things they could do or practi- practical applications that people could uh, do coming away from this podcast? Okay, so the bokashi that, that he's talking about is if you took just four ounces of that brew that you made and you took four ounces of, um, uh, of molasses and you threw that in about four gallons of water and then dumped that on about 50 gallons of wheat bran, 
um, you mix that all up together, those microbes, those four ounces of, uh, of microorganisms are going to feed off of that molasses that you dumped in, but also feed of that organic matter. And the, the bokashi, it's a Japanese word. It just means fermented organic matter. Mm. Now, I say wheat bran because if you have really poor soil, you want to be able to have some food source. But if you have great soil, you know, you can use leaves. You can use paper because you're just trying to colonize the microbes. But the point is when we, when we take those four ounces of microorganisms and four ounces of molasses and mix it with that water and with the wheat bran, you let that ferment about 21 days so that everything colonizes. And if you think of the wheat bran, it already has its natural IMOs from growing out in the field. So now the microbes, remember the first fermentation, they're able to talk to each other and learn just a consortia group. Now I put them with the wheat bran. Now they're really going to expand their language now. You know, they did it at step one, but now it's like, okay, boys, try to do it again, but now new languages are being introduced. Well, if the Bokachi takes off, you can see the successes that they now speak even a broader spectrum of different microbial languages. Mm. And they've even worked together to create the symbiosis of that fermentation. But it's almost like second nature to them, right? It's like a training course here. So they did it in the EM brew. They did it in the Bokachi. Chances are when you employ them out in your garden, they're going to do the same because they did it in the Bokashi. That's kind of the step process that we like with that. But the Bokashi, um, if we're doing the compost teas that I mentioned to you earlier, but I don't, I'm not at, say, some, I would run different um, cannabis grows at this particular time. So I couldn't brew all the time. What I would do is I would make the Bokashi, as I just described to you, but then I would add in, 15% organic matter of my choice, whether it was going to be a veg or a flower, into that bokachi so that it goes through the fermentation, it gets unlocked. So I would basically stabilize my teas in that bokachi substrate, and then I could dry that out, let that stay until I needed it. Then the employees at a, at a lower salary can just drop that in at any time according to what they plant needed. And I didn't have to have somebody who knew when to stop the brew, add the brew, or all the things related with the brew. They can just shake the bokachi on, on the top of that thing, and I knew my plants were fed. So the bokachi was able to stabilize my fermentation as a tea, but the basic thing is if you just took that bokachi all by itself with the wheat bran and the microbes and the molasses and added that to your compost, you know, in Japan they have a bokachi bucket, they call it, where you collect all your food waste in a five-gallon bucket, Inside of the bucket has a, a separator so that it doesn't smash down and clog up a thicket that's down at the very bottom of that bucket. Mm. And you fill your organic matter into that bucket, throw some of the bokashi on top of your food waste, whatever that may be, and then cover that up with the lid. And as the microorganisms begin to ferment the organic matter you, you put into the bucket, a beautiful compost tea gets released from the bottom of that spigot, which you can use at a teaspoon per gallon, and that's going to be as rich uh, as, as whatever you're putting in the bucket. So that's one of the things, like with the schools, we didn't, nobody really wanted to give money to get the thing going. It was a parent club that was paying me. So what I would do, I would take those buckets, trap all the school lunches, take it to the fermentation. After two weeks of fermenting in that bucket, the, I had all the apples, everything the kids are throwing away. Kids throw away all the good stuff. I'd ferment that for two weeks and then take it out to the garden, dig a hole in that garden bed, dump everything into that garden bed, cover it up. Two weeks after that, everything was broken down. And I was able to plant on top. So I was four weeks away from planting an apple thrown away today using the Bocacci bucket system. And with composting, most of the nutrients get gassed, gassed off during the compost uh, process. 
in a pile, you know, it goes up into the atmosphere. With the bucket system, because it's trapped, nothing gets lost. We maintain 100% of that organic matter within that fermentation, so a lot of nutrients get captured, but it molecularly gets breaking down by those three group of microorganisms I told you about earlier, that then the organic matter breaks down differently through a fermentation. No putrefication, no spoiling in there, because remember the lactic acid pickles? So it does the same thing with the food waste. It pickles the food waste, and it just makes for a great tea. But one of the things I love is you want to make the best tea for your garden, but if you're eating Taco Bell and Burger King all the time and you're throwing your scraps in there, you, re- you start to see what you're eating, and you realize, I'm not going to make no tea this way. Change. Yeah, just because you want to feed your buckets. I've heard of people's diet changing completely because they want to grow the best herb, so they have to change their diet because they're not getting organic matter that they want. And this is kind of a good thing, right? You're taking care of yourself, and you're taking care of your garden. So it's very interesting how these things unfold in, in our lives as we thrive to make the best garden, the best soil. You end up making the best self, your, your best self in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that uh, cannabis is a good gateway drug to gardening. So that's what it pretty much is with the Bokashi. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So um, uh, before we before we get going, two more questions for you, Quatermark. Um If there was one thing that you want everybody just to know or to understand, what would be your one sort of takeaway message and then uh, share with us how people can connect with you or any products that you want to plug or anything like that. Okay. Um, I'd like to plug uh, the Advanced Permaculture Student Online by Matt Powers. You can get all this information and as well as great educators through his online course. And I guess what I really want you to take away from this is understand who I am. You know, I got a GED background. Um, I never went to college. Um, I stumbled on this thing. You know, if you probably saw me back in years past, you would never have any, uh, I had none of us have any idea where, where, where this has led to. But what I want you to kind of take with you is when you see those troubled kids in the street and you're looking at somebody with their pants sagging and you just wonder, God, that boy, what, what's wrong with that child? Man, that's who you're listening to now. You know, I was one of them them kids. So for me, I, when the teachers tell me, okay, this is Johnny, He's if you got to send him back, and I, I understand this kid is not going to make it in your garden class, I want that kid. I want that kid, and I want 100 more just like him. Mm. Because I tell you every time, every time a teacher told me that that boy was to watch out for him and don't feel bad about sending him back, that child has, every single time, that child has such a natural intuition for nature, okay? The problem is we got him in a classroom, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. Doesn't, you can't teach these kind of boys that way or these, these girls. So every time I get these kids that they tell me can't learn in school, I want every one of them. I want them in a nature school. And you're going to see they're going to go beyond anything I've done because that's the gift, okay? And, when we, when we work with microbes, we call that, in, in our indigenous community, the bee medicine. Because, you know, the, the bees go out and they collect the pollen. But we don't realize that the bees also got its feet in a lot of microbials on those flowers as well. Mm. Right? Microbes like sweet stuff. So does the bee. So when we work and collect microorganisms, we refer to that as the bee medicine. 
when we employ the microtechnology, we refer to that as the ant medicine because the ants build community and colonies that function very well together. So for me, when I work with my bee medicine, I want the part of the community that nobody wants. That, that part of the community that you tell me is no good and can't be fixed, I can re-ferment them. I can inoculate them to become our, our, our finest producing citizens in, in any, any country, anywhere. Those are the ones I want. The people, the ones that tell me, oh, they can't learn, they can't try, they're just workers. That's all they can do is work. Let them work. I want, I want all those people who tell they don't have no education, you don't need it. Okay, when you look at micropower, the man growing walnuts, can't even barely write his name when he would write me a check. But he's the greatest one farmer and greatest EM brewer you're going you're gonna to talk to. Mm. So the least among us, I'm telling you, the least among us, we got to really nurture if we're going to come out of this thing. So we nurture that and we nurture the artist. No matter what that is, the artist is going to bring us out of these things because that's what inspires us too, you know. So art and all these capacities are going to break, break people free, I think. We have to create, whether we're creating gardens, whatever we're creating, we got to do it with the intention of the bigger picture, whatever that is in your life. And understand that all of it fits together. If you're doing ceramics, I need to see that. Here in Portland, that's what I love about Portland. I can drive down the street and they let these artists just do stuff on the walls, murals. But when you look at these murals, they inspire you. And in our indigenous culture, the shaman, the medicine man, his job wasn't to create the Bruce necessarily. His job was to bring together the artist, the scientist, and the doctors. But if you can bring those guys together to collaborate, you'd be amazed of the, the um, verification in the work that gets done. The artist is grabbing stuff that he doesn't know what he's creating, but the scientist can then tell him, or the doctor can then know how to employ it. So there's many areas of, of this next step where you're not going to think that the artist is important, but you're going to see that that is confirmation of a lot of the things we're working on. And these are the things. This is why I tell you the microbes have a sense of humor, because this is how they work. Mm-hmm. It's a strange, strange, funny, funny, funny way how we come together. But, and what inspires us most of all. You know, but that's how you know you're in the realm of the microorganisms. They are not going to work without it being fun and make you laugh in the process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, quite right. you're singing to my heart. This is really, I'm just <laughs> vibing off all this stuff yeah, right now. Good, good. Oh, good man, good man. So, um, so I just want to say thank you so much for your time, for coming and sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, we'll put links up to the uh, permaculture student uh, and anything else, you can s- send me that. Thank you so much, Kodamak, for being with us on The Probiotic Life. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for making this space. And uh, many blessings to everyone listening. Let's keep going forward. Yeah, that's right. Let's keep going forward. I totally relate to what Kodamak is talking about. I was one of those kids too. And learning how to grow plants and microbes was therapy for my soul. It is therapy for my soul. And that's what the probiotic life is all about. You can find Quatermark on Facebook. And as I said, I'll have all the links in the notes. 
So thanks again for joining us. Feel free to shoot me an email with any questions, comments, or guest suggestions. Also, we're looking for inspiring original music to share on the podcast. So if you have something you really want to share, flick us an email. Thanks again for being with us today on The Probiotic Life. May the beneficial microbes be with you. And until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life.